the VCG podcast is sponsored by Forget Me Not Flowers and Gifts in Barrie, Vermont. Forget Me Not Flowers and Gifts is at a new location on Main Street. So check them out if you're looking for flowers or gifts for someone in your life. Welcome to the Chaotic Good Cast, our weekly geeky roundtable. I'm your host, Doug Shoot, and with me tonight are my fellow casters, Ben Higgins from A Quarter Staff Games. Yo, yo. Rob Collegian from A Pond's Perspective. I will gladly pay you Tuesday for a taco today. Barney Smith from StoryComic.com. The rotation of the earth really makes my day. And of course, the chaotic good cast would not be complete without the geek of the north, Jason Hunt. Oh, my sweet summer child. Winter is indeed coming. (laughs) Oh, oh, that's so depressing. All right, let's hop right into our first segment. New at the store, Ben, take it away. So this week we have a new re-release, sort of, uh, the Tyranny of Dragons, which is a new hardcover for Dungeons and Dragons, is being released. Uh, it comes out on Tuesday, so it's been in your store for a couple of days now. Uh, what this is is a reprint and slash update of two adventures that really started the whole D and D Fifth Edition: Horde of the Dragon Queen and the Rise of Tiamat. <laughs> They were kind of notorious when they first came out as being uh, filled with the, a few issues. There needed some errata, some some changes. Uh, there was issues doing uh, with spellings and stuff. So this is really great uh, that a uh, an update is finally out there. It also includes a reworked opening chapter. So if you've played it before, there is some new content in here for you as well. And yeah, this is just something uh, people have really been really been looking forward to for a while. And in addition, it's got the great uh, spectacular art by Hydro74 in that kind of limited edition style that they've done with numerous other books. Yeah, Jason just uh, shared the cover in the Discord chat right here. Um, and I'll invite anybody that's listening to uh, join us on the VCG Chaotic Good Discord server. And you can listen to the Chaotic Good cast live, usually on Monday nights at 9 p.m. Uh, but yeah, it looks phenomenal. It's so pretty. And uh, yeah, I just I love it. I almost want to so... go pick up a copy right now. I got my copy last week or the week before, um, you know, for review, and it is absolutely beautiful. And the pages actually feel a bit heavier and nicer than some of the other collector's editions. Um, they almost have like a more cottony feel to them. Um, and yes, the, the first, that opening chapter has been revised to the old one was known as kind of like a meat grinder. It was overly, overly difficult for new players. Uh, they fixed that. And then the, the back of the book is about uh, 10 or 10, 15 pages of, of concept art, uh, including some uh, pencil sketches of the dragon redesigns. Um, I guess all the dragons were 
initially redesigned in, in third edition, uh, but then kind of further refined in fifth so that you could you could tell them apart kind of by their their profile. So there's some really, really cool sketches um, of the different types of dragons and their their defining characteristics and heights and stuff like that. It is a a beautiful book. I mean, content wise, even though it's been fixed up, it it still shows its age a little bit. Um, you know, it's it's not as as all encompassing or 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 as you know as let's say Descent into Avernus is with kind of the gazetteers and stuff like that. Um, but it is a fantastic book, and the cover is absolutely amazing to see in person. Yeah, yeah, I, I definitely want to pick up a copy of this. It's it's got to go in my collection for sure. I think that's going to be one of my collecting goals for the um, the remainder of this year, actually. Um, since the Christmas season is coming up as a gift option from my wife, I'm going to say, you know what? All I want is the limited edition covers for all of the fifth edition books as they come out. <laughs> because the more I look at them, the more I just want to get them. And I, I don't, yeah. things I don't need them. I have two copies of the player's handbook. I have two copies of the monster manual. I have two copies of the DMG. I don't need the variant covers, but I want them. <laughs> oh my God. I want them too. Like all the ones they don't have, I I now want. Especially the um, Xanathar's Guide. It looked the this variant cover for that is amazing. One might say you are hoarding them like dragon. Yes, <laughs> like the dragon queen herself. Is there anyone? I'm just curious. Is there is there any other way to buy that for instance instead of it being on the book do they're going to sell it in poster form or anything else for for collectors i think question. doesn't doesn't hydro 74 have the rights to sell them as posters i be. know some of them they have they've they've been able to do some other prints and things for them i believe the um the three core books when they did the collector set last holiday season, I believe Hydro seventy four did like a set of prints of those. But uh, definitely, definitely worth checking out. I'll see if I can Google up uh, a website for them or something. Yeah, yeah, I'm actually in the process of doing so right now. The uh, the art's just so good that you'd hate. I mean, it it would make sense to make other products with it. I mean, whether it's prints, whether mm -hmm. it's posters, you know, something. Just because you know, I I think there's there's definitely a market out there. Unlo you know, mm -hmm. they'd be missing out if they didn't. Well, yeah. it's, it kind of reminds me like of the. Oh, sorry. No, it's fine. Go ahead. I was going to say it kind of that from from an from an art perspective it kind of reminds me we're seeing a lot of this homages to like the art nouveau and the art deco styling that you're starting to see in a lot of and a lot of role playing game designs. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I'm just glad that they're taking a little bit more time not so much even with the art but with the quality of the book. Like if they've improved the paper quality and the paperweight that leaves you with a book that is going to last you. Like, I remember the old, uh, in the second edition, one of the biggest problems they had when they really went to mass market with it was books were falling apart on a lot of people very quickly because the bindings weren't holding, the glue was not as great as it should be. Like, you'd have the rare people who would get a, a solid copy, but even mine, my old player's handbook, by the time I got rid of it, was a disaster. My unearthed arcana was just falling apart. <laughs> it was ridiculous. Ben, was this a is this a product you went pretty heavy on at the store? 
Uh, to be honest, I didn't go as heavy as I wanted to just because there's always going to be those some people that are like, well, they put some of the errata online. I already have the books. I'm not going to go out and buy the, the new edition. Uh, so where normally I go and I pull, you know, uh, a couple of dozen of these limited edition books, I only did about 18 copies of this. And, uh, you know, just to kind of hedge my bets and and all that stuff but uh, i could easily see seeing those 18 copies go by the end of the year and i will uh, i hope because this is a a rework of the books i hope they continue to print these and don't just make it a, a limited splash release i sincerely hope that too as i plan to collect it later <laughs> <laughs> very cool very cool. Uh, is there anything else that uh, you got in at the store this week that's of note, or is this pretty much the main the main highlight of new inventory? This is the one that's going to be in the store when the when the podcast drops. Uh, Games Workshop has a couple of uh, releases for their Space Marine line coming out, and that'll be the day after this podcast drops. Uh, they are releasing the Codex supplements for the Imperial Fists and the Salamanders chapters. These are pretty big fan favorites, so there's a lot of a uh, lot of fanfare coming out with these. The Imperial Fists being one of like the first, you know, successor chapters, uh, and then the Salamanders being one of the uh, chapters known for using a lot of flame weaponry, which uh, for whatever reason a lot of people really uh, really like using that in the game. It's also what the those of us that actually play on a regular basis like to call GW's license to print money. All right, let's jump into the box office beat. Let's talk about what reigned supreme at the box office and maybe what went tumbling down the uh, charts from the uh, box office theaters uh, last weekend. Uh, to no one's surprise, the number one movie was Maleficent, Mistress of Evil. I think we called that last weekend. Um, what wasn't predicted, though, was the fact that it didn't open as well as prediction. what was predicted. Um, in fact, it was it opened forty five percent below what the first Maleficent movie uh, opened at, which is not yeah, good. That's that's super super down. Yeah, that, that that's really uh, not a good sign. Um, considering that it only opened with uh, thirty six million, and um, that is. Uh, definitely disney's lowest opening of the year um and that even counts dumbo which was a huge failure for disney it totally lost them all sorts of money uh but that debuted at 46 million so this sequel to maleficent is in some pretty deep water for not especially with the new terminator movie on its heels yeah yeah that's uh that's not good Two things, man. Number one, Dumbo was awesome. <laughs> uh, okay. Yeah. And and it was actually probably one of the, the better Disney remakes, um, okay. besides the first Maleficent, which I still think is the best. But two, I think, um, I don't know if the, the marketing for Maleficent didn't seem, like I wasn't seeing it everywhere. And from what I did see, including the trailers, left me very confused about what the movie was really about that's very I, true I, 
I don't feel like I went to the first Maleficent knowing kind of what it was going to be like, but was still with this air of mystery. Um, with this one, nothing caught me. You know, I didn't know what was going on. I didn't feel like I I wanted to know more other than the fact that like, hey, the first Maleficent was good. I want to see this one eventually. Right. Um, so yeah, I think it might have just been marketing and the way the trailers were. Know if, if people really knew what to expect from this movie. Well, originally this movie was supposed to debut first quarter of next year. And then Disney pushed it up for some reason. I, I think it's mostly probably because of like the time of year, because it's Halloween, and, and they were hoping to probably cash in on on Halloween. But I don't really see Maleficent being a Halloween movie, to be honest with you. Like I don't, no. I can kind of see why they would think that it would be, but it's not really. I mean, other than like the Adams family, there's not really a whole lot of yeah. There's no other uh, you know family movies that that are that are uh, uh, in the theaters or in the top ten at least for uh, for this time of, for this this weekend. So you know, I, I can see them trying to maybe ride both the 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 lack of competition and uh the time of year but it just doesn't seem like it worked for them well as as he was saying i hardly saw any commercials for this movie and what few commercials i did see were not very helpful in explaining the story it was just there's a white queen now there's a black queen yeah um they they get pissed at each other they fight no, there's no like. Why are they fighting? What's going on? Who's everybody else in this movie? They don't explain any of that. It's just a lot of action shots. Well, here, here's the good thing though. A lot of uh, a lot of audience goers are giving the film a very good rating. There's they're saying really great things about the movie. So maybe some of that will keep it in the theater a little bit longer. But it it yeah. had a uh, 185 million dollar production cost, so it's got a lot a lot of. Uh, uh, a ways, you know, of catching up to do in order to make any kind of profit. Maybe it'll start to do better the closer we get to Halloween. You never know. Yeah, maybe. Uh, who knows? Like we'll I don't see. think I don't think it'll be one of those movies that drops forty percent, forty five percent, like everything else in the top ten seems to. Really, week to week. I really it'll... don't. I think this will. I think this will drop like fifteen to twenty, maybe next week. Okay, interesting. We'll have to uh, keep an eye on that. Uh, number two went to Joker. Um, that brought in just a little over 29 million. Um, people are still talking, you know, really good things about it. It is now the number four DC movie of all time, uh, not adjusted for inflation. Um, you know, it's, uh, it only cost them 60 million to produce and it's already raked in domestically, you know, here in the U.S., uh, $247 million. So that's definitely a, a, a success for DC and for uh, uh, for the Joker. So good for them. And uh, hopefully, you know, hopefully we'll get a chance to see it. I, I, I kind of want to see it in theaters before, uh, before too long here. The only thing that worries me about this movie, though, is they're already talking sequel about it. And I'm okay with that. Oh. But if they start throwing a sequel to this movie around, they're gonna. They, like, he's not in the same universe as the rest of the DC characters, right? So are they gonna have like two concurrent alternate universes? Which is, you know, DC is famous for that. Yeah. <laughs> but 
that would be very odd. Like maybe maybe this new uh, Robert Pattinson uh, Batman will be in this Joker's universe. Oh, maybe. I I don't know. I I think you know with DC, you know, they have their their TV universe. They have their cinematic universe. I mean, I guess it's not it's not like Marvel is. You know, Marvel's trying to tie everything together. Uh, I think everybody knows that DC kind of does their own thing, and they just kind of you know put out whatever yeah. works and. And DC is very much like Sony in that regard. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So. Well, I mean, but also too, uh, yeah. As you're saying, DC has infinite Earths. I mean, we see this with the Arrowverse. We're doing the Crisis on Infinite Earths, where they're right. combining all su- all the Supermans they've they've had, all the it, all that stuff. So i i don't I don't think it's 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 breaking it it it's breaking any boundaries by saying that this Joker is not the same. Uh, Joker of the Batman franchise that they're that they're rebooting. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Um, number three went to Zombieland Two Double Tap. Um, again, uh, it just it, it, it. I think it did okay for its first weekend, but I don't think it did anything. I don't think it did better than expected. Um, it actually opened higher. Uh, then the first Zombieland, uh, it's tw- it opened at twenty six point seven million versus twenty four point seven million, so it did two million dollars more uh, for the second movie. But it still doesn't seem to be, uh, you know, with such a huge gap in between the first movie and the second movie, you would think that more folks would have come out for for the second movie. Um, yeah, I I don't know. It, it, People seem to, to like it that, that have seen it. It's a B. It's got a B plus on Cinema Score. Um, I don't know. This, I think that's another one that's probably going to drop pretty quickly. To be honest with you, I don't know how long it's going to stay in in theaters. Uh, but you know, I, I think... feel like that one's going to do better in the home market. Yeah, oh, yeah, I think so too. Because even the first one, it's like kind of one of those cult movies that. Yeah. I don't know. It just seems like yeah. something that'd be more fun to to get a bunch of friends around and watch at home than go see in the theater. Exactly. Exactly. When the original Zombieland came out, none of the actors in it, like Woody Harrelson was sort of, he sort of had a career on the go because of the Hunger Games movies were around that time too, I believe. Well, um, Woody Harrelson's but, been around forever too. Oh yeah, I, was I, I know. Say, but his career, he, was, he wasn't cheers, a bankable man. star at that Stop, point. And then they had um, Jesse Eisenberg, who's kind of, up and down as to whether or not he's a good actor in some movies. He's a terrible actor in other movies. Like, so it didn't really do very well in theaters. So I can, but it was a huge thing aftermarket, huge. Like it's, it's a, it's a, it's almost like um, the old science fiction movies of the eighties and stuff like that, where, you know, they flash in the pan in theaters and then have a cult following, like just as big as um, the evil dead movies. Right, and and that's kind of yeah. why I'm surprised that this second movie hasn't didn't have that audience turn out the sec you know the second time around because it had you know such a huge you know I, I know a lot of my friends really like the original Zombie Bland and and they you know they they watched it a few times and and uh, they were excited about this movie but yet I don't know any of them that actually went to the theater and saw it the sequel so yeah i was excited about this but again this isn't this is one of those movies that like do i want to go see in the in the theaters and that was just a definite no yeah no there's there's no real need to see it in the theaters unless you're a diehard fan right and a lot of these niche a lot of these niche 
sequels that we've been talking about, I'm just wondering if people are just seeing their writing, writings on the wall is that they'll be so much more successful if they just bring them to a straight to a streaming service instead from now on. Yeah, I, I you know what? I totally agree. I think Zombieland 2 Double Tap would have done better on Netflix. I think you, more people would have turned out and would have probably watched it immediately than than uh, go to the movies and see it. it. Yeah, it definitely feels like one of those movies that everyone is excited to see it eventually. So, like, right. yeah, it, it's not it's not the big pressing thing, but people are definitely going to see it. But it's just, yeah, whenever we get to Yeah. Uh, speaking of speaking of streaming, uh, we should talk a little bit about the El Camino movie, uh, which is uh, which we'll talk about. Well, well, let me go through the top ten first, and and I'm I think we've got some, uh, an example of what would be a success. Why I think more folks would would come out to see a Zombieland two on on a streaming service just because Netflix had a huge hit with with El Camino. I mean, yeah, El Camino, the uh, the uh, Breaking Bad movie, uh, which just came out a couple weekends ago. Uh, but let's uh, let's go right down the top ten, and we'll, we'll get to that in just a second. Uh, the Adams Family was number four. Um, that seems to be you know hanging in there pretty well. It only had a modest drop of forty seven percent. Let's see here, Gemini Man is tanking it only brought in 8.5 million uh in its second weekend and the the big disappointment was its debut in china which only raked in 21 million and uh yeah it just doesn't seem to be attracting any kind of audience uh so that is going to be a huge hit for that studio uh number six was abominable yeah okay so i guess there was a second uh a kids movie in in uh in the top 10 uh, i'm actually surprised to see a bottle still in the top 10 to be honest with you but it does drop down quite a bit from uh 8.5 shows you how terrible million. the box office was <laughs> yeah uh a bottle was 3.5 million uh in its fourth week uh number seven goes to downton abbey uh that brought in just a little over three million uh judy was number eight hustlers was number nine and it chapter two remained in the top 10 at uh, 1.5 million uh and it's seven hold it on by the skin of his yeah. creepy teeth <laughs> that, that's got to be like a halloween effect right there Just, yeah oh for be. sure for it's sure yeah um one thing that uh, we should mention is that just missing the top 10 so at the 11th spot was uh a movie called parasite and i guess this movie's was really good at the Keynes Films Festival. It must have won some awards there. Um, but it's by director Bong Joon-hoo. And it only premiered in 33 theaters. But it pulled in wow. 1.25 million. That's crazy. It, yeah, it won the Palme d'Or in Cannes, actually. Oh, is it? In the Cannes, Cannes Film, Film Festival? Yeah, yeah. It, won, it was Basically, that's their laurel wreath thing, you know? Like yep. It, Yep. This, is, this has our blessing as a fabulous movie. Oh, now go I, forth, my child. It seems this movie is fabulous. Well, hey, it, it has me interested to see what it's all about, especially with the title called Parasite. Like that's a lot of the um, a lot cool. of the non-period, non-drama pieces that uh, can takes notice of tend to be quite good movies. Yeah. 
it's their period piece things where they're like, oh, this is such a fabulous retelling of the of the winter period in Italy in 1937 that no one is ever going to care about. <laughs> Those movies I don't like. So going back to the whole uh, streaming service uh, topic, uh, let's talk a little bit about El Camino. Is anybody here a, a Breaking Bad fan? Do you guys have you guys watched Breaking Bad? Am I the only one? I have. Okay, no, yeah, not the only one. Do you guys are you fans of the show? I mean, I love the show. I think it's a great show. Um, I I actually like Better Call Saul more than I like Breaking Bad, and what? I like Breaking Bad a lot. What is wrong wow, with you, Ben? You're you're no longer a part of the chaotic. Good, I'm just well, kidding. Well, I, I would say, well, to to be fair, to be fair to Ben's point, it's the same director. It's almost saying that you love this, you love a band, and you prefer one album over the other. It's still the same universe. Yeah, and it's still the same writers. Yeah, that's true. I guess uh, we'll we'll give I Ben a pass today. on that. I guess. Um, I the whole Breaking Bad thing. Breaking I loved Bad season one. Forward. Yeah, that was. I was. I was just about to say that. I loved season one of Breaking Bad. Um, halfway through season two, I was falling asleep during each episode, and then towards the end of the series, I was like, "Okay, now this is getting interesting again." Yeah. Oh, see, so I, I don't was, know, I I don't was, know if I qualify uh, as a fan. <laughs> I was falling asleep during the second episode of season one. Like, I just, I couldn't get into it. I'm going to agree with Rob. It took me a while to kind of get motivated into uh, Breaking Bad, like right out of the gate. Uh, it is, I think it's one of those shows where you kind of have to give it a few episodes to kind of really kind of get into. Uh, I, there were some episodes in season two that were just, oh my gosh. But um, yeah, my, my, I've tried to get my wife to watch it. She is not a fan. Like, those first few episodes are just so rough for her that she's just like, I can't watch this movie. I can't watch this show. And it's I'm like, kind no, of a you gotta, long you gotta con show. Yeah. 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 That, like you're saying, like you were saying there, it's a long con show. If you can hold in till the end, it all ties together and kind of, it's like, you know, like when you're tying up your shoes, you know, you get all the laces in place, you zip them together and Oh, that's really cool. You know? Yeah. Uh, but I use Velcro, Jason. <laughs> um, Going back to the El Camino movie, uh, Netflix produced a, a follow-up movie that takes place right after uh, Breaking Bad, the ending of, of Breaking Bad, um, and uh, it debuted with 6.5 million viewers its first weekend. That's pretty crazy. That's like, really high, yeah. Yeah. Um, let's see here. Uh it, and it said 40% of those viewers, or just under 2.6 million, watched the first day. So when, when Barney says, you know, I think, you know, some of these things would probably be better suited for a streaming service, I think that's definitely uh, the case. Because, man, I don't think it would have had 2.6 million people going to the theaters to see that movie. So I started watching it. I haven't finished it. What I've seen is really good. Um, I, I really, I really enjoyed it. I need to go back to it. It's again, it's one of those things where I was watching it because my wife was, was doing something and, and I started watching it and then, you know, since she wanted to watch TV, I I turned it off and and let her, uh, watch whatever she wanted to watch. But so it's really well done, but I don't think that it would have that kind of success in, in, in a theater. Maybe I'm well, wrong. kind of that notion that like, you know, for a movie premiere on Netflix, the only the only commitment you have to give is is time. Right. You, know, you don't need to shell out twelve dollars for a ticket and then 
$20 for popcorn and soda. You know, you, you pop some corn at home or you, you order out some dinner and you just flick Netflix on and, hey, if it sucks, all right, we switch to something else. And if it's good, it's like, hey, that was that was awesome. Now, you know, you're just paying your monthly fee and that's that. Here's one of these. Do you think that if they had they have done like a a theater premiere where you could see it first in the theaters and then like the next weekend it goes to Netflix. Do you think that kind of strategy would have worked? I think it would have worked if it was simultaneous, like, because there's going to be some people. And I remember seeing an article like, and we've talked about this before a while back where rumors were that Netflix was looking to buy failed theaters so they could run like, Hey, come watch the first two or three episodes of stranger things you know when it launches or you know come watch a a bird box or a or something like that on the same day it comes out just to get the theater experience i think that would do really well i think so barney yeah they they've done uh all sorts of different things to kind of reinvigorate the uh the 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 theater market just because like it seems like either you have a hit in the theaters or you don't and i think a lot of theater owners are are trying to are realizing this and they're just trying to stay relevant i think at this point yeah theaters are rebranding like crazy right now right even my local theater is doing that like they 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 have um themed movie days now um they got one here called popcorn and pacifiers where it's uh, the lights are left up a little bit. The audio is turned down a little bit. It's strictly for moms to bring kids to that kind of thing, you know, or in some cases, it's even like the action movies where normally they're all super loud. They turn down the audio a bit so that moms and dads can still go with their kids and not have screaming children littering the theater. And it's proven to be very popular in our little area. Actually, they're packed every time they do one of those. And I love the, like the theaters around here have been doing like the summer studio Ghibli fest where every few weeks they show a studio Ghibli movie for a few days, or they had one a while back where they were showing movies like alien and stuff like that. So they're bringing these older movies back to the big screen. And so this week it's this movie or, you know, these two weeks, um, I would much rather pay the movie ticket to go see Totoro with my kids on the big screen than a a new family movie that's come out and I would see it every summer like you know when when Nightmare Before Christmas they they sometimes they bring that back to the theater it's like if it's playing I go see it it's a movie I know I love and I've watched it a hundred times at home but just to be able to watch it on the big screen again I would much rather go to the movies to do that than to see a new movie now is right part... and go ahead go ahead i was going to say that i think in ben like I, I know the the movie theater in burlington uh, or williston well anybody that's outside of burlington all those towns are burlington basically <laughs> they have they showed like the 75th what 75th anniversary of wizard of oz and some of those theaters that's what you're saying that's like they're they're bringing back some classics to show in, I, yeah, I mean, I, I think it's great, especially if, if I was too young to see a movie on the big screen when it came out. Like, I didn't get to Alien this summer, but I would have loved to see, you know, Alien on the big screen. Yeah. Um, and it's great to go see, like, Nausicaa, The Valley of the Wind, or Howl's Moving Castle on the big screen. 
Um, and yes, these are movies that I own. I own every single Ghibli movie. <laughs> yeah. You know, me and the kids watch them. I can't count the times we've watched like The Cat Returns with the kids, you know, because they loved yeah. it when they're little. They still love it now. Um, you and now won't find big... more wholesome movies than Studio Ghibli. <laughs> they are they are amazing. And now that the older ones are a little older. They you know they could watch Princess Mononoke or they could understand Nausicaa a little better. Yeah, yeah. You start to get some of the backstory and some of the uh, like subtleties and stuff. Yeah. Oh yeah, but they're just like to me they're like they're like Disney movies. You just they're great. They have a lot of nuance to them. The animation style is is beautiful, and they're just they're fun. I mean. I love every single one of them, with the, maybe the exception of Pompoko. The, the magical raccoon nut sacks are a little uh, off. <laughs> you know, you know what kind of makes me sad though, guys. What kind of what kind of depresses me, and kind of knowing that in the future, that if movie theaters still around, which I don't think they probably will be, but what. In the future, if movie theaters are still around and they go back and they play nostalgic movies from my kids' childhood, they're going to be playing the Transformers movies in theater. So well, instead, yeah. Instead of like Alien, they're going to be playing Michael Bay's crappy movies. Oh, you mean those yeah, Transformers? Yeah. <laughs> but at least we have Bumblebee. Like, yeah, you that's know. true. That's true. You got me all excited for a little, you know, stand. Stan Bush, the touch, and now I'm just thinking about Michael Bay. Thanks. I will tell you that <laughs> they, if they put the the animated Transformers movie in theaters, I'm I'm there. I'm just, I am totally there. Just put just buy my ticket now because it doesn't even have to be an anniversary. It doesn't have to be any kind of special event. You just put that in the theater. I'm coming. I don't care. Oh, damn straight. You know what so, I think would be cool for theaters to do is if they put up like a list of like five movies and let the community vote. Like just if you have like a multi-screen cinema, throw up a list of five movies from like say the 80s or something and let your moviegoers vote as to which one and then by popularity put that movie up on the screen for like a week or something like that some, or even even one night. Some smaller theaters like we have one in Connecticut uh, it's in Newtown, which is about an hour away from me, called like Edmontown Hall, where it's dollar movies, and they're all old stuff. They will take requests. Like you could be like, "Hey, can you show this?" and and they'll look in their lineup and be like, "You know what? Yeah, we could we could do that." You know, showing this this week. Um, so a lot of these smaller theaters are willing to take requests for movies as long as they they have access to them. Yeah, that would be that would actually be very cool if you could even just get together a group of friends. Like say you can put together a group of even 20 people and say, "Okay, we will we will guarantee you our ticket sales if you put this movie up on the screen and see who else maybe comes to see it too." That would be kind of cool though. So you know how like movie theaters do birthday parties for kids and stuff? Yeah. Yeah. Say like, yeah, for like a 20 person whatever, you pay X amount and it's like the movie of your choice from this catalog. You know, here's the movies we have the rights to run or that we can get. And you get the theater for a night with some some cool concessions and the movie of your choice. I would say, I kind of see too, is that the, the, the issue that's happening with the theaters, as long as Marvel is still going to be putting out their movies in the screen, it's still, there's still going to be people who are going to be showing up to the movie theaters. I still think there's going to be a culture there. 
but ultimately is I what I'd, what I'd see that movie theaters are going to be going towards is like, look at it from a perspective of, of what uh, music, the music industry, people go to concerts. So there is still a need for people to gather um, in a larger area that, that people want to share a like-minded experience with some other, the, with the similar, similar people. I see that not, that, that not changing, but what I do see is that, that, more people who are going to be apt, like we were just talking about 10 minutes ago, people who are ambivalent to the movie theater experience, you got to find ways of bringing back that nostalgia like you're, that you said before. You want to you make sure there's an entire experience for it. That's where you see movies, as you say, doing birthday parties. Other movies are saying, hey, 3D glasses. Come on, you guys, everybody loves 3D glasses. And I think that's what you're going to see. I think movie theaters aren't going to go away. I think they're just going to have to evolve based off what the market demands. Yeah, I agree with that. I actually have seen a lot of theaters uh, upgrade their uh, their facilities to have like uh, recliner seats. Um, so I think like most some, theaters are going that way now. Yeah, uh, reserved seating, you know, or priority seating. Um, I think I think your reserved really seating is the absolute best. We actually. Uh, we travel, you know, we go a half an hour to a movie theater, even though we have one, you know, 10 minutes away, just because they have the recliners and the reserved seating. Because yeah, with the kids, too. you know, it's sick, you know, it's a family of six. It's nice just to be like, hey, here's our seats. We got the ones we wanted. We don't have to fight for, for seats. Uh, that makes it worth taking a trip when we actually decide to spend the money to, to go to a theater. And you know, and it reminds me a bit. It's like this whole this whole issue with uh, with like Scorsese and uh, and Francis Ford Coppola, who were talking about how Marvel is destroying cinema. I don't know if anybody saw it's. It was so amazing to watch some of these Marvel actors seem to seem to uh, gather the was a circle the wagons. And I think one of the more appropriate ones that seemed to be. Uh, for taking it from a different perspective was what Edward Norton said. Edward Norton said, Marvel isn't destroying cinemas. Movie theaters are destroying cinemas by saying that they are dimming the lights. The sound quality is not as out as it should be. And he's saying, and a lot of people now, depending on, you know, for an extra few hundred bucks, if you just get the right sound system in your, in your living room, you have a better movie experience in your, in your living room than you would actually in a movie theater. Now that's true. That's true. So let's uh, let's speaking of the uh, the Marvel uh, discussion, let's pop right over to the uh, the pop culture comic corner by storycomic.com. I think I did that intro right. I don't know. But Barney, let's let's <laughs> let's divulge a little bit into this this whole uh, topic a little bit further and uh, w- let's get some of your thoughts because I know that you, this is a, a topic that you wanted to talk about last week which we really didn't get a chance to discuss it all that much. Uh, but yeah, let's 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 talk about it a little bit more. So we we initially when we we're going to talk about it last week or said um, was complaining about how uh, Marvel and super well the superhero movie genre it's in itself isn't real cinema and so we thought that was kind of going to die down a bit but now francis ford coppola chimed in on just uh as of this recording i think yesterday mentioned that uh he agrees with scorsese and then there's a few other oscar winning uh, oscar winning uh art house directors that have also kind of chimed in and 
and and basically it's like the point of it is in, in summation from my point of view is you see this and this mark ruffalo kind of said the same thing he said that basically he said this is the equivalent of what people were saying rock and roll music wasn't real music back in the 50s and it, and you see that as kind of a passing of a torch in a way it's like when when new generations of of someone who takes a genre of art and moving it moving it forward and does something different with it uh, the the old guard always seems to uh want to call it not you know not art it's the whole and it's the other point is like the art of you know the art of accessibility accessibility is which which is art is high art which art is low art and and usually the art that is considered more accessible to the general population what the general population want isn't considered high art because of that so this is him this is them throwing around the term cinema cinema isn't movies and this is the point where you see that as i say from before is andy warhol when he started making prints and calling it art that people actually how the paintbrush said no that's not real art that's not that's not fine art that's something else so from my perspective looking at it and just seeing what the responses are of actual like the 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 uh, the more successful directors that have been a part of the marvel cinematic universe helping them out on it are are basically going back but they're being diplomatic by saying hey you know what scorsese and coppola do great stuff and we respect their opinion. That's all they're saying about it. But I'm curious to see what everybody else has to say about this topic. Well, it's funny that they, they say, oh, yeah, they, they put out great stuff, yeah, except for all the crap that they put out, too. Yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah they, that's true. Yeah, they've got some great movies, and yeah, they've got some, some real crap, too. Um, I think it's just old white men complaining and telling kids to get off their lawn. <laughs> that would be my assessment as well. Yeah, yeah, I can, I can kind of, uh, I'll, I'll agree to that. I think it's, uh, you know, it, when, I mean, I, what was the last big movie that they've done? Is, is it a little bit of jealousy? Do you think? I, well, I think, I, yeah, so. I think one point is that Scorsese isn't grabbing a hold of what was the, the big controversy a couple of years ago that Spielberg had that Netflix isn't real cinema. Even, you know, it's the streaming is he was pushing to Netflix and uh, James Cameron, I think it was, was pushing to make sure that Netflix and any other streaming service movies are not, cannot be nominated for best pictures on the Oscars because it's not in the movie theater. But if you notice, Scorsese has not jumped on that at all because he just, his newest movie is only streaming the Irishman. I really do think a lot of it is, um, they aren't part of this new generation of movies. They are not relevant to the movie sin, the movie industry anymore. Like if somebody says Martin Scorsese worked on your film, everyone's still impressed, but that doesn't mean your film is automatically successful. Same thing with even, even more recent people like Steven Spielberg and that sort of thing. Yeah. Okay. Steven Spielberg might be involved in a movie every five or six years now. And they're usually quality pieces, but they're not always blockbuster quality pieces. Like the movie industry is changing because it's become more about mass entertainment than it is about art. 
Like, and that's what Scorsese and everybody else from his generation were making. They were making visual art, not entertainment so much. Right. And also, if you think about it, like the directors, the old guard of the directors that were in their uh, in their twilight years in the 70s were also complaining about Coppola and Scorsese saying that the movies they're doing is too dark, it's too violent. So it's as I said, I just see this as an evolving it's an evolving art form. And they were the outsiders and they're the ones that the uh, I can't even remember the guy's name now, uh, the one that did like all those giant biblical movies um the ben hers and all that stuff uh he they, they, he was complaining about the work that that coppola scorsese and 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 the like of their generation was putting out at the time i mean things things always change this is just the way uh the way the world works i mean our our music you know every everything uh everything kind of comes and goes and sometimes it comes back around and you know i, I yeah i i don't think that uh you know i i understand when when you've been trained and you've been working in a medium your whole life and doing things a certain way to see someone come along and, and kind of uh do things differently it's it must be kind of uh irritating so i can understand where uh, they might uh, might not have the same feelings about why these movies are such a hit, and uh, yeah, that's too bad. But at least the industry is still thriving. It could be, you know, the industry just might be tanking out and bottoming out if not for these movies. So, you know what? They should be happy that uh, there's they can still make movies. Yeah, the whole yeah it's going to be that. it's going to be movies like the Marvel movies that are ending going to end up funding their period piece movies that are all dramatic yeah. lighting and my nine miles of dialogue. But I think the the whole argument that like streaming movies shouldn't be up for awards is is also stupid. I mean, look yeah. at uh, Netflix's Okja. I don't know if any of you have had seen that one. I don't think I've seen um, it. It was a very kind of it wasn't super artsy but it had that independent feel um, it had a good message it wasn't like a you know one of these stupid adam sandler movies that keep popping up or, <laughs> or anything like that i mean it was a like a thought-provoking very well done uh well done movie like that i don't know if it has won any awards it certainly should have um i mean i think as far as as streaming movie goes it's definitely one of the better ones i've i've seen um and it is something that maybe you would expect to see at like a a smaller theater or at a, or at a film festival kind of of movie if you haven't seen okja you definitely owe it to yourself to to see it it is a, a fantastic if not sad and depressing movie yeah, I hate yeah those 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 movies remind me of like Pete's Dragon or The Iron Giant. I just if I feel like <laughs> if I feel depressed, I'm gonna go watch those kind of movies. It's it's like those, but not for kids. <laughs> <laughs> and the new I, Pete's Dragon gotta, was great. Yeah, yeah, we have that on DVD. I, I gotta I just gotta add on the fact I just I did some I did some research just as we we're talking. It does look like um, the Irishman is not going straight to streaming. Oh, it's I was not. Wrong about that. Oh. No. 
All right, let's uh, let's talk a little bit about uh, some other pop culture uh, news that uh, that Ben brought up right before we went we went live uh, with this this recording. Uh, it was something about uh, Hasbro sales and earnings, and of course, we all know that the tariffs and everything uh, have been making a big impact on on everything. But yeah, Ben, let's let's talk a little bit about Hasbro and what they just announced here. It was just actually just before we we went live, uh, they posted this uh, this info. So uh, maybe you have a, a little more uh, grip on it than than what uh, what I do at this point. Yeah, so I, I looked it over real quick, and basically uh, the Q3 kind of shareholder uh, conference call went out for Hasbro, and it doesn't look great for Hasbro overall. Uh, they're Wizards of the Coast brands, Magic and D&D, obviously the ones that impact us the most, were bright spots, but everything else was really rough in Q3. Um, most of what the company is attributing that to is the impact of the tariffs uh, that the U.S. has put in with uh, with China and all of that. Uh, just going over a couple of the numbers real quick. Uh, their Hasbro Gaming kind of division, which doesn't include like a lot of their board games. It doesn't include Wizards of the Coast. It's more their uh, what they call off-the-board game brands like Bop It was down 17%. Uh, and just... Uh, you know, a lot of that is due to the fact that the uh, the list three twenty five percent tariffs were enacted during that period. Uh, but their total gaming sales uh, were about roughly flat when you factor in Magic and some of their bigger board games like Monopoly, uh, which is huge over there. They they saw twenty roughly twenty five percent growth in quarter two. So um, having it just flatten right out like that is definitely an alarming trend that we need to keep an eye on. A uh, couple other things uh, to kind of note in the in the little article on ICV2 that uh, I looked at. Uh, it seems like um, CEO Brian Goldner is attributing this to, quote, a very choppy environment where retailer order patterns have changed in response to potential tariffs and our supply chain is being pushed to meet the high levels of demand in condensed periods of time. And as a retailer, this worries me a little bit that Hasbro is basically saying it's our fault that hasbro didn't sell Ooh, well yeah like, oh, um no it's it's <laughs> it's the government <laughs> putting you guys tariffs didn't order on our stuff it's your fault man like yeah yeah we had to change our patterns because our our profits and our viability changes you have to make up things. a 16 percent shortfall but uh <laughs> it's definitely company. definitely not a decision that we as retailers made so having that quote from the uh from the transcript is a, is a little concerning that maybe the company doesn't really understand where a lot of people fit, but then, then it kind of follows down uh, in the bottom um, where, let me see if I can find it again real quick. Um, where it was acknowledged that only a quote unquote, a small percentage of sales on the uh, magic and D and D brands was captured by NPD data. And that's the percentage that goes through change or online retailers, uh, like Amazon and that. Uh, so they're saying, yeah, you know, our online sales, it's pretty small. But so how did we go wrong <laughs> if we are the majority of your sales for the brands that are doing really well? So kind of a little uh, little disconnect there from what I understand. But, but maybe that's just my yeah. retail bias. 
but they're also saying at the at the bottom of that article, they also mentioned they believe that Hasbro at Hasbro that Wizards of the Coast sales can be doubled over the next five years as they've done over the past five years. So how are they able to cast blame on someone else if they still think that they're going to double their sales over the past over the next five years, just like they did before? That's they're just I, it's almost like they're trying to set up a scapegoat now that they can use later. It's definitely one of those things that they it's it's their call with their shareholders. So obviously they want to make it seem like it's not their fault. Exactly. But then also but then also tell people, hey, we're gonna be bigger and better, so keep investing. So it, it it's it's a little hard to pick through exactly what they're trying to tell in there. Um and I think a lot of the shareholders didn't necessarily uh you know, fall for the smoke and mirrors because, uh, as it states in the very bottom, uh, the share price uh, fell over 16% uh, in the stock market today. So it uh, definitely, they did not seem to like the, the words that were being passed down to them and the projections that were being talked about. Now, when did when did Toys R Us go bankrupt? Was it last year? It was, it was around last this time year. last year, right? Yeah, about a year ago, yeah. So... I'm wondering if that might have any any kind of effect on on uh, why we've got Hasbro not because I mean you would think that the amount of retailers going down would probably impact a little bit of that as well as far as sales are concerned. Speaking speaking purely from a, a games retailer, um, you know we don't really stock the mass market board games and we definitely don't do the action figures and all the toy lines that Hasbro carries but um, Pokemon and Yu-Gi-Oh sales skyrocketed for us when Toys R Us went out of business Um, because that's where a lot of these families were getting their their collectible cards for these you know smaller properties that uh, that the kids may not necessarily play but they definitely collect and it drove a lot of that business to find another place to get it. We've we've definitely picked up a lot of that business. So, if stores are not, uh, if other stores are not picking up the slack, then I don't know where these sales are actually going. If they're not being reflected in the NPD, the the online chains and and online retailers. Well, and also too is that I know uh, I know that actual physical toys the the age range between people actually buying toys is the it's is shrunk significantly in the past, over the past 20 years because people go into start playing video games people are doing more digital things now and people nobody is actually buying physical items as much as any anymore as they used to that's why if you look at if you go to any toy store they're really aimed towards three to eight but when we were kids it was three to 15 i mean it was like you had a it was in there was action figures there's all kinds of stuff you don't really see that much people kids aren't buying that stuff as much as anymore i mean i, I buy the transformers <laughs> it's people our <laughs> age you still you it's so funny every time i go to a toy store and and i get i get a side eye by this mom i'm like uh I'm buying it for my nephew it's not for me <laughs> uh, i'm just glad that sydney is still 13 so like when when i 
go to like stores and and I can kind of go check out their Transformers because you know I'm a geek like that. It's like Sydney, come with me because I don't want to be the only person. <laughs> Doug, <laughs> Doug, they 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 know. I know. <laughs> they just they they look at Sydney with the look on her face, and then they look at you with the look on your face, and they know. I know. Dude, I, I embrace it. I go to Walmart, and I go down the toy aisle, and the, the Transformers and the Beyblades are in the same aisle. Mm-hmm. And even though I don't do the tournaments anymore, like I still love seeing all the new Beyblades that come out, and I'll pick up a few now and then. And there'll be kids looking at, at Beyblades with their mom, and mom will be like, well, I don't know. And the kid's like, this one's really cool. I'll be like, no, dude, you don't want that one. Like, you want that one instead. <laughs> uh, I just uh, I I fully embrace my love of, of toys and and I have no shame. Well, I think a lot of uh, a lot of toy uh, companies are realizing that there is a market like for for us uh, as grown men and uh, grown adults. Just because uh, you know when I went to our local Walmart and uh, I perused the the toy aisle with the transformers in it the things that I saw right away were the uh the reissue sound wave with buzzsaw which they were selling for like a ridiculous amount which I'm sure the prices that... are stupid there's stu- like optimus prime without the trailer is 50 bucks yeah sound wave was was close to that too or I think he was actually more but they had like it looked like the old packaging that you know that that were on the shelves when i was a kid and i you know wanted to pick up soundwave uh they also had a reissue for uh vintage figure set of the teenage mutant ninja turtles uh they were black and white so they kind of looked like that eastman and laird uh you know design from back in the day so so i think you know a lot of toy companies are realizing hey you know what where our money's at is probably not you know the the teenage audience it's more like okay we're gonna go with the young kids and then we're gonna go with this collector market that you know these guys that want to go back and buy these toys that they either had when they were a kid like i like i do or uh you know pick up the toys that they didn't have you know that they wish they had when they were a kid uh so have you uh have you seen the the Fortnite line of toys no. So what they have is they have like these three, almost like three tiers. So they have these small, chunky, more cartoony figures that almost look like they're for like the the preschool young kid market. Okay. Then they have the six inch, I think, action figures, which looks like it'd be for like a, you know, like a maybe eight to 10 or 12 year old, like they're meant to be played with. And then they have like the eight inch more collectible looking figures where they're more detailed, they're highly articulated um, and they're like 20 bucks each, but they, you know, it's this wide range for almost any age. And it's kind of a, a smart way to, to go about it. And and that's good. It's nice that they've been able to uh, see their, you know, put out product lines that, that, that accommodate for, uh, you know, different types of audiences. I, I think I know Hasbro does that with Transformers. They've got, uh, you know, Transformers for younger kids. They've got the like the quote unquote the the stuff that you know has a few more steps, uh, so you can kind of transform it within like eight or nine steps. And then they've got the stuff that you know the studio line where you know it takes 
uh, you know, all day to transform it pretty much. They even have like the the foam non-transforming figures. They're like yeah, three bucks, and they have like it's just a box of loose foam ones. But like a little kid can just pick it up and beat the hell out of it, and it's like you know two three bucks. It's not a big deal. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see uh, how the uh, the fourth quarter goes for Hasbro because um, yeah, we're getting into crunch time. We're getting into the uh, the holiday uh, season, and we all know that that's you know really big for for all these companies and most retailers. Mm. So uh, it'll be it'll be interesting to see. Maybe maybe now's the time to buy some Hasbro stock because they'll have an amazing fourth quarter, and and uh, you know their their well, stock. Then you just have to sell it again in January. What's that? <laughs> then you just got to sell it again in January. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So. All right. So, yeah, go ahead, oh, Barney. I had um, I, real quick. I just wanted to talk real, uh, real, real quick on the an update on the the streaming wars that we talked about last week. Oh yeah, yeah. Let's talk a little about that. So the uh, so l- looking at the news, there is you have Apple TV and Disney Plus is coming out next month, and and it looks like they are Apple TV and and Disney Plus are going all out to make sure they can just hit the existing streaming services uh, like um, uh, like Amazon Prime, Prime Video, and Netflix. By Apple TV has announced that if somebody buys a new Apple product, whether it be an iPhone, iPad, anything along our Apple TV product, that they will get one free year of all of apple's services Hmm. what they're trying to do is bundle it they're bundling all their apple services for about third 25 bucks a month that is their apple tv it's their um itunes all of that stuff it's they're trying to bundle and there's some sort of and maybe somebody else knows about this like a gaming like a game streaming program that they have now through their through their there's apple arcade where it's that's what it is five bucks a month and it's all premium games so it's not like these you know the freemium crap where it has all the microtransactions these are like like, minesweeper no no but you get (laughs) games like earth knight and and monument valley and like you're getting real deal games for five bucks a month right so that's what they're trying to do for the first year if you buy a apple product you get what one free year subscription and now disney plus is connecting to verizon that if you have an, an unlimited verizon plan you will get Disney Plus free for a year. And in response to this, Netflix is unloading the most in, in November, it's it's unloading the most they've ever unloaded in a month for um, new shows and movies. So they're also coming to, you know, coming to the game with something to tempt people. Because what Apple is trying to do, Apple TV is trying to do is that there's been some market researches that we've seen that People will spend a maximum of that. The average person will spend a maximum of thirty dollars a month for a subscription services. So consider that with Spotify Premium or any of your subscription services, which it would be. And so what Apple is trying to do is saying, "Hey, for twenty-five bucks a month, you get all this." That they're trying to, even though it's higher than most, what other people would what other streaming services are doing they're hedging their bets that even though it's higher 
that they will force other people they'll force people to abandon some of their other existing streaming subscription services well if they bundle it for an entire year with the purchase of any product those people are going to have that service for free for the whole year they will eventually find something or apple will release something that they like enough that when it comes up saying hey your your freebie is about to run out you want to pick this up they're going to be like, oh, crap, I really like this show and that game. Or, you know, I like being able to listen to this music all the time. But sure, I'll take it. <laughs> yeah. So I'll be curious to see how it, how it goes. Because what Apple is doing is I think it's kind of smart is that they are doing it with, you got games and music and TV. So they're, they're, they're hedging. Plus, you're going to see folks who, and, and this is what we're going to see that you're not going to see in other, other realms is that people when it comes to the streaming wars, I think are very brand loyal. Unlike yep. some other types of services like Uber or Lyft, people aren't you know loyal to Uber or Lyft. They're just wanting to get someplace. But people are, are brand loyal. So you'll see that Apple TV customers, the people that love Apple are gonna jump on this. They're gonna, they're probably saying, hey, I was gonna buy Christmas. So I might as well do it for that. So. Are, there, are there people that love Apple? Uh, I'm three. told. I'm told. <laughs> no, I, I'm just... I have uh, I have finally broken out of the Apple ecosystem, and it wow. has taken me wow. a while. I still, I mean, I love OS X, and I use it at work, but yep. the prices of Apple products have just gotten so ridiculous that I can't, yeah, I can't keep up with it at home. I mean, my my new yep. PC tower, which is the first tower and first Windows machine I've purchased in twenty years, I got for like eight hundred bucks, and the thing is a beast and it's fully upgradable whereas i can't yeah. keep spending two thousand dollars on a new mac every two to three on years a thousand dollars on a phone every two years like yeah and it seems like their obsolescence is kicking it now so that it's literally every two years like you said like, but i mean, I, I mean the same I thing with my samsung phone though it, like i just phone. paid it off and it's pretty much turned into a hunk of garbage oh. and i just i can't do it with phones which, anymore which man. model like, did you have? i had the s7 edge because I have an S8 right now, and I'm just now starting to notice some slowdown in it, and I have three months left to pay it off. Oh, this thing <laughs> is is slow. The battery life lasts like half a day, um, but I'm not spending a thousand dollars on a new phone because cell phone yeah. companies don't subsidize phones anymore. Right? Yeah, it's, it's the well, it's not the cell phone companies. It's it's your uh, it's your uh, phone provider. provider that subsidizes the yeah. phones now. So it's insane. Now we haven't have we talked about the Stadia at all? Not yet. No. The, no. The Google Stadia. I was, so I was going to mention that because it's coming out soon. Yeah. yeah. So talking about streaming, it's it's streaming video games, which technically in the past has been kind of a failure. Giant uh, but apparently Google is saying that even within a year, the technology that they have will make desktop gaming obsolete. And yeah. the cool part is is to get stadia and it's just a controller like that's the console is a controller that you hook to your tv um you can get that for free and then purchase games for streaming or you can buy the premium service which comes with destiny 2 already and gives you like x amount of percentage off when you buy new games Uh, but they they even tell you how many frames per second you'll get based on your internet connection speed and most people who have like a cable modem are going to be close to 60 frames per second on most of these games. Wow. Now I'll believe it 
when I see it, but uh, from what I hear, you know, people who have had some kind of hands-on is it's actually kind of amazing that they're playing these 3D intensive games and it's it's just streaming and all you have is this little controller. There's no box, there's no nothing. And when it comes out, you can just have them ship you that controller for free. Interesting. Interesting. It's and it's put out by Google. Yep. Wow, I'm I'm looking at it right now. I'm I'm uh this this has me uh very, very intrigued. I was uh, I was a, a serious myself. skeptic, but the more I hear about it, the more it's like, okay, maybe this could maybe this could work. Or it could just flop like every other streaming game service that's ever happened, but it's got yeah. the power of Google behind it. Yep. The pr- the problem usually that happens with these streaming game services is um, when people get into playing the action intense games like first person shooters, uh, any kind of Twitch game, like even League of Legends and that sort of thing where you have to be precise. That lag, that intermittent lag that you get from the time that you click your button so that it transmits it to the Stadia server, the Stadia server reads your data, applies it to the game, transmits the result back to your screen that tiny fraction of a second of lag because there's an interconnected party there is what is going to keep it as mostly a casual gaming platform for the first little while. It'll take a long time for competitive gamers or even people who just like to play casually, but like accuracy and that sort of thing. It'll be a Which while. Is kinda, so it's, so to me, it seems kind of ballsy that they're, they're launching the premiere edition with destiny with too. destiny too. Yeah. Like, cause that's a game where if you're not accurate, you're dead. <laughs> yeah. Now, I don't know anybody that plays destiny um, at all. No, no, no. I played for about boo, seven boo. minutes and then I chucked it in the garbage. <laughs> oh, I actually, uh, I've been playing with, with, with Aiden. Uh, so I had gotten it for free a while ago and he purchased uh, some kind of bundled edition right before shadow keep came out. And so, like, we play through the missions, and, you know, we'll do, like, an hour of co-op, and it's been fun. Well, I, the reason why I said that is because I know Ben's a Destiny player. Ben is a big yeah. Oh, Destiny yeah. guy, right? I, I, I played I it once, and I just like, hours. no. <laughs> yeah, Ben. It's, uh, yeah. Have you heard about you the Stadia know. thing, uh, Ben? Because I, this I, is the first thing I that have. I've heard I... about. <laughs> So, so uh, I, I looked into it because uh, a lot of my uh, friends, they, they play Destiny, but none of us are all on the same platform. And Destiny did introduce cross-save. Um, so we kind of all talked, you know, hey, maybe if we all got onto Stadia, we could all play from time to time. Or, you know, if I'm traveling, this is a way I could still play the game and and not, without having to take my entire PlayStation with me or whatever. Um yeah, I, I looked at it, it seems interesting, but I agree, like, um, a lot of these, uh, a lot of these uh, online games, you know, uh, if Fortnite or, or Destiny, it requires these super high-speed internets and streaming, I'm just not sure can handle, you know, obviously the technology's there, but is the technology coming into your house enough to make it? Um, I consider myself a yeah. pretty, you know, I, I make sure I've got good internet. Um, I've got, you know, and I still, uh, I still see some lag issues from time to time. So you'll be interested to, to see how, how this really takes off. I'm curious to see how it handles things like the Elder Scrolls, like the massive games that have mountains of detail in them. 
Are you done with this? So the one thing that that I'm looking at, I just did the uh, the online speed test to see if this will work with my internet, and it says yes, it will give me very good service, which is promising. The thing that that, that I am really digging as you know as a consumer and being you know over 40 is a that there's a lot of games that looks like that there are launching with right out of the gate the second thing is the price dollar 29 uh, 129 like that's a pretty good value like and that's just that's for the premiere edition like i said they'll have a a free edition where you get the equipment and you just have to buy your games the premiere edition gets you destiny 2 and discounts off of of future purchases uh, okay well even at 129 you know how much is it, how much is an xbox or a, a playstation oh you're whatever? looking 3 300 plus right right and and uh, i think they're saying the ps5 is going to be closer to 600 yeah, they're saying that the PS5 and the next Xbox are going to be pretty much the last gaming consoles before either things like Stadia take over or it's just going to be the PC master race forever because people are just going to be like, well, why would I spend $700, $800 on a console when I can spend, like you just said, 800 bucks on a PC that's a monster that already does. Like I looked at the, I've, I'm a nerd for PC stuff. So I picked up Red Dead for the PC it looks so unbelievably better on the PC than it did on the PlayStation. And I loved it on the PlayStation. I thought the graphics were amazing on the PlayStation, but the PC blows it right out of the water. It looks like Minecraft compared to it. Hmm. My only concern with the Stadia is what is the, you know, so on a console, you can buy a physical game or you can buy a digital game and you buy a digital game you know, it's yours to download and re-download as long as the service stays up. But so what is it going to be with Google where you're streaming the game? Right. You know, if I were to, let's say, fire up my computer, can I download a copy of the game? Or like, how is this going to work? How is ownership of the game going to work? I don't think you keep a local copy of the game. Well, you no, on the Stadia, like you list. don't. But what I'm th- what I'm yeah. wondering is, though, like, if I buy a bunch of games on Stadia and I decide I don't want to use Stadia anymore, do I have like the rights to then get a hard copy of these games? Will Google oh, let me do that I on my bet, computer? I would bet not. <laughs> I yeah, like, or is it going to be like an Amazon thing where you buy an ebook and all of a sudden they can just yank it off your device? Yeah, if they decide to rescind the book, then all of a sudden it just disappears, yeah. Because even like, I, I know they said that, um, I forgot if it was on the PlayStation or something, you know, DuckTales Remastered was being taken off the the store but if you had it down you had x amount of days to download it if you bought it so at least be on your system but then you couldn't re-download it after that so even though it was being taken off the store you could still own it and it would still work where would you put it with the stadia though but that's the thing so with the stadia (laughs) if if the game comes off the library let's say you spent 60 bucks on it and then it's just gone then what happened that yeah that would be pretty irritating so the one thing that I I'm I'm now that uh, you've got me you know diving right down this rabbit hole because now I'm I'm all all about this to learn all about it. Uh, the thing that I don't really like about this this whole situation is that uh, you can get the Stadia base, which is coming next year. It's free. The service is free, but 
they have a pro edition, which is $10 a month, but the resolution is much better. The sound, uh, it's 5.1 surround sound. It gives you, uh, what else did it say? It gives you discounts on select games, free games, you know, that are released regularly. Uh, I don't like, I don't like it when they just have like a base that doesn't give you, I mean, it gives you stereo sound and it gives you 1080p, which I guess is probably good enough. It's not, I, I don't think you'd see a huge difference between 1080p and 4k, but I, I don't know. It just seems kind of cheap to. You can actually see a pretty good difference. Can you if see you a have big a difference TV. with 4K and 1080p? Yeah, yeah. Um, I have actually just uh, a few days ago. I tried. Um, I picked up. Oh, what the heck was it? In 4K. Yeah. I had, oh, a friend of mine loaned me um, Spider-Man: Far From Home uh, on Blu-ray, and I watched that. And then I picked up the 4K myself, and there are noticeable differences in the quality of the video. Okay. The so, only thing that I'm not liking about Stadia right now, though, is you have to have uh, Chromecast, and I really hate Chromecast. <laughs> well, it comes with a Chrome. Like if you buy one of these uh, one twenty nine, one hundred twenty nine dollar controllers, they send you uh, a Chromecast Ultra oh, to go. With yeah, them. I just I have never had any luck with the damn things. Oh, I've really? had two, and yeah. it has never worked properly for me. Oh, it's always disconnecting. Like I'm always having issues with it for some reason. I mean, not that I plan to buy Stadia anyway, because I have a monstrous PC, so I, I have no interest in it really. I like the concept of it, by all, by, for sure, but I, like I, I would never buy it just because I've already got the PC. So, I mean, if my PC craps out, definitely might have a look at it. But other than that, meh, pass. <laughs> So I'm I'm reading their FAQ as well. It says, "What happens to my claim games if I stop my Stadia Probe subscription?" And it says, "If you stop your Stadia Pro subscription, you'll lose access to the games that you claimed." As oh, I guess those are the free games that you claimed as part of the Stadia. So yeah, yeah, it's kind of like the PlayStation Xbox Network. and PlayStation do that as well. Yeah, the oh, PlayStation okay. Plus thing. You so, can download all kinds of really cool games every month, but if you lose, if you let your subscription lap, you lose access to those games. So Google is saying though that if you purchase a game and the company pulls it from the Stadia store, Google will still honor your purchase and you can still play it even though new people can't purchase oh, it. Oh, okay. okay. That's not so bad then. Yeah, that's not bad. All right, not bad. Hmm. Well, now you've got me uh, curious. When is this supposed to hit? Do we know? Have they said when it was supposed to... Uh, next year, right? Is it next year? It says uh, F the updated the FAQ back in August. Yeah, it doesn't say anything as far as... It doesn't say... I don't see anything that says launch date or anything but you know what i'm thinking um this is going to be a lot like actually i bet you this is going to be similar to youtube when it comes to video quality or even twitch you know like if you have a really monstrous download speed you get really crisp you know high res video but if if something interrupts your video it automatically downgrades you a little bit in your quality until your internet connection speed picks up enough so that it can go back to the high quality so I wouldn't be surprised if that's not exactly what's going to happen with Stadia. Like, you'd be playing your game and it'll look amazing, but if your internet connection starts to drop a bit, it probably is going to crank back your graphics settings a little bit to allow your speed to stay the same so that your gameplay is still good, but your visuals aren't quite so amazing until it can crank them back up again. 
which is actually a pretty cool concept. It'll be interesting to see if that's what they do. So I think this is going to be good for like the the budget gamer, you know, somebody yeah. who can't afford a new PlayStation or Xbox or even a decent oh, yeah. PC. Imagine um, parents at Christmas time going out to the store. Oh, I can buy this, and he can play all of these games, and I only have to give him one hundred and twenty nine dollars instead of buying this giant box for five hundred dollars and then having to buy the games with it. Wow. <laughs> so the other the other question that I have is mobile. Like, how do you, can you play these things on a mobile device? Can you, because that would be yes. key. So they are saying that you can, you can, um, you can play them on like Google tablets, Google phones. I think there's going to be an app available. Okay. So you can play them on, on TVs, on Chromebooks. Like okay. it looks like you can play it across multiple platforms. And one other thing that I will mention is that 129 a price point for this uh, for this controller for this Founders Edition controller is uh, is just for one controller. If you want a second controller, then it's another like 70 bucks or something for. Uh, so you you are going to be dishing out almost 200 dollars if you want two controllers and uh, with uh, with the Chromecast uh, Ultra. So. It's going to save you. It's still going to be, you know, budget-wise, it's going to be a little bit cheaper, but you're still not... Uh, I was thinking 129 I'm like, oh, that's not bad for a full, uh, you know, gaming experience, but, you know. I do stand corrected. You can't use Chromebooks. It's uh, it's compatible with the the Pixel 3 and Pixel 4 lines oh, okay. of phones. Okay, it'll be interesting. Yeah, I'm, 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 uh, I'm excited. That I appreciate you bringing this up, Rob, because uh, uh, I think I had heard about this somewhere, but I hadn't, uh, hadn't really dived right in to uh, see what it was all about. So I'm, I'm really, really interested in, in uh, how this is going to work. Now, if I, if I remember correctly, uh, you can hop from one console to another, or another one TV from another, and uh, like saves your progress if if i'm not mistaken i thought i saw something like that yeah, oh, yeah. i mean it's all it's all cloud-based right. so yeah right. it's all it's all server-side stuff like yeah. that so that'd be no that'd be no issue at all so you could literally throw the controller and your your chromecast into your suitcase go all the way across the country be stuck in a hotel room well let's plug this thing into the side of the tv in my hotel room and play i mean your internet connection will probably be garbage but you could still do something <laughs> right very cool very cool. All if right. It, yeah, if it works, it'll be a really cool system. Yeah, yeah, it should be should be pretty neat. And like you said, with Google behind it, it's pretty much they're they're gonna keep pushing it until it can't be pushed. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So, all right, I think that's gonna do it for this week's chaotic good cast. It was chaotic, but it was so good. I would like to thank. Everybody that tuned in, and if you uh, enjoy the uh, Chaotic Good cast, I'm going to tell you to please give us a rating on wherever you listen to your podcast media. Uh, we would greatly appreciate it. The other thing that I would like to do is to thank the Chaotic Good casters. I want to thank Rob Kalajian. Uh, go check out PondsPerspective.com. You can check out Ben Higgins at Flop Cardboard on Instagram. You can check out Jason up in Canada somewhere. Not that's somewhere. actually his, that's his there. last name. It's actually Jason up in Canada somewhere. 
Jason up in Canada somewhere. Thank you so much for, for joining us. You can check out Barney uh, and all his work at Story Comic, and you can like his Facebook page at Story Comic, or you can check out StoryComic.com. And of course, if you would like, you can also check out everything we're doing at VCG on our YouTube channel, on our Facebook channel, on our Twitch channel, you know, pretty much everything that, uh, you know, you, you love to do on social media, we're, we're usually there. So just go ahead and check us out wherever you want to do your social media. Is that just look thing? for the silliest people in the room. That's right. All right. That's going to do it. We'll see you next week. Thanks so much for tuning in. Two songs from Ben now. Two parodies, one from last week and this week. <laughs> you put your pants songs on one leg at a time. You gotta, you gotta put them on slowly. But here's the thing if you really want to catch the full pants parody experience, come to Carnage, where we'll be doing a live full length pants song that I've been working on very hard. And I suppose if Doug is nice, he'll uh, save it for the actual recording. But come to Carnage. We'll be doing it live, full length. This is not hemmed. This is uncut edges on your pants. I I can't wait for that. That's going to be amazing. Yeah, I want to know if there's going to be choreography. Uh, There there damn well better be. There might be some choreography. There will definitely be some some backup music. Uh, Just working out all the dancers. <gasps> the rest of the VCG guys can dance. Ooh, Do we get to wear like hammer it. pants? I mean, if you want to, they are pants after all. They are. They are pants. It yeah. says it in the name. I'm excited. That is not uh, not next, not this coming Saturday, Sunday, but the following sa- Sunday, yeah, November third, we're gonna be in Killington. So, Killington, Vermont. Be prepared. It's about to get chaotic.